0: For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
1: My guest today is Rebecca Simon, whom you may know from the podcast I Don't Know About That. And the new documentary, Lost Pirate Kingdom She has also written a book, Why We Love Pirates Which I really want to read after this episode And this is, you get this all the time And I'm, 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 this is, podcast is no different Where, where did the interest from Pirates originate?
0: So my interest in Pirates originated kind of in two ways I'm from Los Angeles, California And I grew up going to Disneyland every year and my favorite ride was always the Pirates of the Caribbean ride because I love the ocean. I just thought the story concept was cool. And then when I got older, the first Pirates of the Caribbean film came out in theaters and I saw it several times. And but that was it. It was just kind of fun pop culture thing. But then when I was doing my master's in history, we read a book called Villains of All Nations in one of my classes. And in that book, the author Marcus, the historian Marcus Redeker said that pirates were essentially viewed and treated as terrorists and the british in their war against pirates essentially used terrorist actions against them and i thought that was interesting and i wondered that how did we get from terrorists to jack sparrow mm. like how and why did that change and yeah. so i decided to make that the subject of my research and you know that was gosh now over 12 years ago mm. and i'm still researching pirates and i love it
1: I see, it, but and of course piracy has existed since pretty much dawn time to start a sale. We, we all know the famous story of Caesar who was kidnapped by pirates, and then he ends up releasing and killed them all. But why? What made the 1700s so the early? and late 1600s so, the, like the golden age for piracy.
0: The golden age of piracy for, um, is said to be in the 16 and 1700s because this is when we start seeing a lot of organized groups of pirates, organized bands of piracy happening. So starting in the mid-1600s, around 1650 or so, Britain and Spain are engaged in a massive competition in the Caribbean, trying to take control of the most valuable plantation islands. And it erupts into the Anglo-Spanish War. There's all these treaties signed. Uh, The British are blocking trade from the Spanish so their colonists can't trade with anybody outside Britain. So they're really fighting over the island of Jamaica. That's number one. And so during that time, uh, during that time, we have a lot of uh, people who are kind of starting to sail in sort of outside the law. And they settle on lots of different islands. And these are known as buccaneers. And these were mostly French pirates who were kind of hanging out on these small, isolated little islands within the Caribbean. Then flash forward to the 1690s, we have um, what's called the kind of the second round of the golden age of piracy. And this is where we're seeing English pirates in the Indian Ocean, as the English are really trying to establish their trading relationships with the Indian Mughals so they can go in and, you know, have a much easier route getting into China and other parts of Asia, getting tea, silk, spices, that sort of thing. And this is where we have Henry Avery. Who really upset a lot of trade and actually disappeared. And then we have the pirate Captain Kidd, a privateer, who also upset the trade and robbed the wrong ship. So this causes huge conflict between Britain and the Indian Mughals as Britain realizes we have to really step it up against pirates. Well, then piracy actually pauses starting around 1701. And this is because a war breaks out called the War of Spanish Succession, which is essentially about. Who should, uh, who should enter the Spanish throne because the, S- the King of Spain died without an heir. So you have kind of England and France are warring together. They're warring with Spain, trying to figure out who should take the throne. A lot of this war was fought on the sea. So many people who have been pirates become privateers. And a privateer is someone who has a letter of mark, which is a, uh, a contract with a certain government That says you will fight and destroy these enemy ships and you can keep all the loot or 80% of all the loot that you're able to steal. And privateers liked this. They got a lot of good money, steady money. It was always an active life. There was very little boredom and there was kind of the adventure, but really it was the amount of money they were able to get very quickly. Then the War of Spanish Secession ends in 1713 and all these... Oh, I'm kind
1: of curious about this. Would you say that the British kind of created this new wave of piracy
0: in a sense? Um, I, I don't know if I would say the British caused it because it was already there. But okay, I uh, think yeah. a lot of things just kind of really exacerbated it. Um, a lot of political events really exacerbated it. But there was kind of an increase of piracy because Britain for a long period of time had stopped trade between colonists and other Europeans with acts called the navigation acts. And the whole point was to cripple their economies. And so colonists actually began working with pirates because pirates were robbing Spanish ships, French ships, Portuguese ships. Did did the French and
1: Spanish do the same to British uh, and their enemies or was it just Britain doing this? Um,
0: The that's a good question. Um, the Spanish and the French also had their own pirates. They did, who were fighting against um, Britain. But a lot of pirate ships were actually quite multicultural. So you would have a pirate ship that was full of British pirates and American pirates, Spanish pirates, French pirates, Portuguese pirates. If they were a privateer, meaning that they'd been um, hired out by a government, then a lot of the pirates were really just sailing kind of on their own and uh, attacking ships of their own free will without any discrimination as to who they were attacking.
1: So, uh, yeah, this is the beginning of the What happened after when, when the war ended and what happened to the privateers
0: then? So after the War of Spanish Secession ended in 1713, overnight you've got hundreds or even thousands of privateers that had no work. Um, because their contracts were over and they weren't getting hired anywhere a lot of them did not want to have to go into naval or merchant service because it was known that those were very hard lives at sea with precarious pay poor conditions as privateers they had much better conditions on the ships they kind of could rule themselves they had constant fresh supplies so the food was better they got a lot more pay and so many of them decided to kind of continue Living the way they had, except this time without their contracts. So they became pirates. And many of the most famous pirates of the day, such as Benjamin Hornigold, who was a major privateer leader during the war, he actually is the one who established the city of Nassau in the Bahamas as a pirate kingdom, as people called it, a place for pirates to congregate for a few years. And Blackbeard was his protege. And Charles Bain was another person who'd been a privateer and Jack Rackham sailed with him. So this is where we start seeing all the really infamous pirates, many of whom were veterans from the war or at least had sailed with veterans from that war.
1: Um, Something that. Probably everyone thinks of when they think about pirates is treasure maps. And where does this myth is it because, purely because of Treasure Island, or is it some did it originate from somewhere else? The myth that because that's all so bullish, right? The pirates didn't, didn't have treasure maps.
0: Yeah, that's pretty much a myth. The whole idea of buried treasure is a myth. Um, Much of what we think of in terms of a treasure map does come from the novel Treasure Island written by Robert Louis Stevenson in 1883. But there is actually some more historical um, motivation for that as well. So the pirate Captain Kit, who was one of the British pirates operating in the East Indian Ocean, he was arrested for piracy and put in jail in Boston. Now, his former friend and financier was the governor of both New York and Massachusetts. His name was Lord Bellamont, And Kidd said, I'm innocent and I will pay you to get, to get me out of prison. I took a whole bunch of treasure from this Armenian ship in the Indian Ocean. I have buried it off the coast of New York on Gardner's Island. This is the only letter where it was written down. And so Lord Bellamont he decides to have people go look for it. They can't. Find anything they arrest captain Kidd's wife to see if she knows something but she doesn't and then it turns out that it just wasn't real captain Kidd had not buried anything but somehow people got wind of it and i think somehow like the newspapers got wind of it and so people began looking for it and there have been expeditions happening off and on ever since the 1700s as recently as 2015 people thought they people claimed they found captain Kidd's treasure ship off the coast of Madagascar, but that ended up being a hoax. So that's kind of where, like a big historical reference of where it's possible that an idea of buried treasure came out. But nothing's ever been found. Pirates had no reason to bury treasure. They wanted to get into port and sell all their goods to get money as fast as they could. There was no reason for them to stop and hide it somewhere.
1: Um, you mentioned Nassau and what What was... Why it was not a perfect strategic location for Hornigold, and what what made it so that it pros- could prosper into becoming this sort of pirate kingdom, as you call it? What 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 was the reason for that place that England chose?
0: So the Bahamas was, is a series of islands, like a very large chain of islands, sort of off the coast of Florida, extending south towards the Caribbean. It sits in between some major, major trade lanes with a lot of different European powers. It's also got very close proximity to get into the North American colonies and, of course, down into the Caribbean West Indies Plantation Islands. So it sits in a really good spot. It's also because it's made up of so many different islands, you have to be very knowledgeable and very skilled to really navigate around a lot of the areas carefully. Pirates were known to sail smaller ships, so they could navigate these areas. But because there had been um, during the War of Spanish Succession, there was a lot of instability happening in places like the Bahamas and other islands. And this is because the government authorities and armies were just so focused on the war. They weren't paying very much attention to what was actually happening in their small colonies. The Bahamas wasn't very settled yet. So one of the islands, the Island of Providence was where people had been establishing some plantations, but a lot of pirates and other kind of marginalized people just sort of began filtering in, you know, word of mouth, like this is a place where there's people, there's already a town here. So pirates started hanging out there and, prostitutes escaped enslaved people other marginalized people and benjamin hornigold after the war is like pirates need a place to go he's heard that there were pirates hanging out in this one area so he goes to nassau finds it's in complete sort of disorder um you know people in the plant who are running the plantations are staying out of town the town's kind of in chaos and so he says all right this is clearly a place where people are congregating but we need order here so he establishes law and order into the town and he becomes known as the pirate king um, of this new pirate kingdom. And this isn't the first time we've had a major pirate stronghold before Nassau, the biggest pirate haven was Port Royal, Jamaica, just off the coast of Kingston, Jamaica, and that was a major pirate holdout in the late 1600s until 1692, when there was a massive earthquake that sank part of the island. The Royal Navy came in and pirates essentially scattered away from Fort Royal. And then a few years after this, the War of Spanish Secession breaks out. So Nassau kind of became the next major location.
1: And was this a trap where the pirates got to let at first, that this was to be the newest pirate stronghold or did it have- Embraced that this was a good location. This is where we can hide out.
0: I think it was a bit more embraced, I guess, for lack of a better word, because it was already kind of known where people are congregating, and also many of the pirates who had once been pirate pi- privateers during the war would have known Benjamin Hornigold's name, or would have known someone who knew of him, because Benjamin Hornigold. Uh, had such a high position during the war. So it would have been a place for a lot of word of mouth would have traveled and they're like, Oh, the pirates are going there. Okay, great. Let's go too.
1: So let, let's go into the life of pirates. What was it really like being a pirate? Was it actually as exciting as the movies and TV shows said it was, or was there a lot of dead time? And what what did they really do?
0: Um. I would say it's kind of in between what we see in the movies and total boredom. Um, a lot of pirates sailed for short distances, uh, kind of in and around the different plantation islands in the Caribbean or up and down the American coast. Some sailed long distances like Captain Kidd going from the Indian Ocean to Madagascar off the coast of Africa and then into the Caribbean. That was a bit more rare. Most pirates kind of hung out specific areas or maybe would sail up and down the uh north american eastern seaboard uh, for longer distances but what they would do is they would sail trying to attack ships sometimes they would attack a lot of ships in very quick succession um, like one two three i think the pirate blackbeard was able to capture like 40 ships in a period of just a couple of days or you had pirates who are going a long time and if they were lucky you might get a small fishing boat or something like that so it really kind of depended but pirates Pirate journeys were had to last short periods of time because you would need to rob ships and then you'd have to sell the goods and replenish and then go back, rob ships, sell your goods, replenish kind of over and over. So it was a fast paced, dangerous life. Absolutely. But, um, they weren't, I don't think pirates were spending months and months at sea. They were kind of sailing in and out quite a bit more. Was
1: there I seem to read somewhere that there was homosexuality among among the pirates and in like in general on the ships? Is that there's the truth to the news or is it just rumors?
0: Well, the thing is with sexuality, there's no records of um homosexuality or same-sex relationships happening on pirate ships. And this is just honestly because it would not have been written down during the 18th century. Uh, homosexuality, same-sex relationships between men was illegal and it would not have been tolerated in any way. But in also in some situations, those would, relationships... To be
1: fair, when you're a pirate, you're already doing something illegal. So,
0: Well, yes, but pirates also did have their own... They had their own rules as well. They had uh, you know their own sense of order. And there were pirate captains who didn't allow women on ships, for instance, because they didn't want any sort of relationships complicating matters. But there were, there were possibly some cases where pirates may have engaged in relationships with each other. There was something that took place on ships called, I can can never pronounce it correctly, it's French term, um, matelotage, And what this essentially does is it's sort of where two sailors will kind of make each other kind of sort of civil partners on the ship, meaning that if they die, this is someone they're going to leave all their goods to. It's kind of, you know, creating sort of this bond now, whether or not it was just financial or perhaps whether maybe it was because of a romantic relationship, that's something we don't quite know. Nothing's really been written down. I mean, but what I say is homosexuality has already, has always existed throughout history and there's no reason to believe why it didn't um, exist on pirate ships. I think, I mean, again, you know, there are people who say it wasn't written down, there was no homosexuality on pirate ships. I think that's short sighted because that's just denying the fact that, um, you know, LGBT people have existed in every single space on the planet ever since the beginning of time. So I think yeah. there probably absolutely were. I just can't say who.
1: Mm-hmm. Um you mentioned in the beginning the start that they thought you them as terrorists, but when did the British Crown and in general, you started to say, "Do we have this? Is a problem now? We have to deal with this." But when was this?
0: There was a big problem starting around 1670. I think is when the British really began focusing on the problem because. In the 1670, Britain signed the Treaty of Madrid with Spain, which finally ends the Anglo-Spanish War and a lot of the competition in the Caribbean. And Britain gets Jamaica, Spain gets to keep its plantation islands. And one of the agreements is that Britain will always protect Spain from dangers such as pirates, because pirates were very much a danger in this region. Well, as piracy is increasing, you know, Spain is saying, hey, you're not fulfilling the terms of your treaty here, and Britain didn't want to lose its colonies, it didn't want to go back into war. So they began kind of really putting down very strict laws against pirates. At the same time, over in the East Indies in the 1690s, you have Henry Avery who robbed Mughal ships and the Indian Mughals, the powerful merchant, uh, merchant class said, you have to capture him or where we might stop trading. Henry Avery disappears. He's never captured. His whole crew is, but Henry Avery himself disappears. Then if just a few years later in 1698, Captain Kidd robs um, uh, Mughal ships and robs the wrong ships and the Indian Mughals say, look, this happened again. You know, you got to get rid of Captain Kidd or else we're essentially cutting off all trade and it will be considered an act of war. So Britain then starts like a massive extermination campaign against pirates. They start publishing proclamations saying, um, you know, any pirates who, it was called the Act for the Effectual Suppression of Pirates, saying any pirate who turns himself in and names his accomplices will get a pardon for their crimes. And they issue this several times over the next couple of decades, but it doesn't work very well. Britain starts... Say, telling colonists, you have to arrest and try pirates as if we are in Britain, because pirates would be arrested, sent back to London, be put on trial, and then they would be hanged at execution dock on the Thames in East London. Oh, in not ta- How long ta- would
1: such a process take, like from capture to, to the trial?
0: It it really depended, um, you know, how far away, how long it would take them to get back to London. Um, Captain Kidd was arrested and he was in prison for two years before he was sent back to London um some quite quickly but pirates became so numerous that britain had to start establishing its maritime courts called the admiralty courts in the caribbean and north america so that way they could carry out these trials and executions just like it would have been done in london colonists didn't like this because a lot of them had good relationships with pirates pirates brought in smuggled goods they couldn't get so um and now suddenly they can't do that anymore so it caused kind of a lot of dissatisfaction amongst different colonists as Britain was really beginning to crack down on piracy.
1: Has there been someone that has been able to escape before the trial or did, or before no, they that, arrived in London?
0: That, I, I don't know of any cases where a pirate managed to escape their trial. Um, Cause like once they were kind of put in prison, they were pretty stuck there. Those prisons were really tough to get out of. Um, they were really terrible conditions. Um, but I, yeah, I haven't read of any pirates that escaped. I'm curious to know if someone's found cases. If so, please send them to me. That'd be so cool to read.
1: So you say saying that Pirates of the Caribbean the 5, but well, I think it's the fifth one where he escapes from jail. it unrealistic.
0: Yeah, that whole movie was really unrealistic. It was my least um, favorite of the franchise. I think well, either, <laughs> one, either
1: was the fourth one where he escaped from jail or, or the uh, fifth one. I don't, I don't remember.
0: Fourth or fifth, I think yeah. I, the the ones past the first one all start to blend together for me. Yeah, yes,
1: yeah, same. <laughs> uh, so you, so, so what? Yeah, the, what? Uh, sorry, right now I'm trying to think of. Yeah. Let's well, talk about some famous famous pirates. Like you mentioned, the So, what he becomes He be, what inspires him to become a pirate? Like is it because? He was a privateer during the war, but how does he decide? What does he feel like is the reason he wants to be a of pirate?
0: I'm not exactly positive of what Hornigold's motivations were, but um, I think he, like many other pirates, you know, had a pretty strong position of power as privateers in the army and was making a lot of wealth. And I don't think he really wanted to give that up. There may have also been some political reasons as to why he became a pirate, maybe, you know, problems with the British government or problems with other governments and decided that pirates needed a place of their own. Um, I'm actually not positive about his motivations. There surprisingly isn't very much written about him in particular, considering he is the one who essentially established Nassau as a pirate stronghold. Um, but as in terms of his motivations, I'm honestly not sure. I think it was a chance for him to kind of create his own uh, power again his own leadership outside of a war with a community of people that he knew um would support him and that he could support back because you know a lot of the pirates who came in again people either knew of him or maybe they even knew him so
1: is it true that he didn't that british ship because he felt a certain amount of loyalty to the brits and the flag
0: There is some um, accounts that says that uh, Benjamin Hornigold had principles and that he would never, ever attack British ships. And so this implies that he may have had you know, some loyalty, like, you know, we'll attack any single ship out there except for British ships. We won't do that. And it could just be because, you know, he was British, he was English. And um, there were some pirates who, even though pirates technically didn't uh, claim to be part of any country, a lot of them kind of, you know, Claim to be of no nation even so you know he clearly did hold some loyalty for home he did fight for the English during the war of Spanish succession so it could have been sort of his way of just kind of continuing his own personal uh, motivations or his own personal uh, loyalties I should say to England but again I don't know the exact positive motivations he had with that but that's what I imagine.
1: Now, before we go on, there's something that I actually would like to talk about there because slavery is, of course, in during this time on its peak and it's kind of the golden age of slavery as well. But how did what did the pirates do with the situation? I, I seem to know in the documentary as well. They mentioned that they attacked slavery and what did they do with the slaves? That they did they free them? Did they what, what, um, was, how, what was the pirate's view against slavery and very as modern as we think they are in this sense, if, it was, if modern is the right word for it?
0: So in terms of how pirates felt about slavery, that I don't know because um, it wasn't written down. Um, for the most part, I've actually been doing um, some research on that subject recently, um, looking at the connection between pirates and the slave trade. And... Right now, from what I've been seeing in my own research is that pirates it didn't necessarily actually go after slave ships, but if they would rob ships and the ships included maybe some Africans on their cargo, pirates would steal them as if they were parts of the cargo and then sell them later for profit. So that did happen. But pirates didn't actually really attack slave ships. The only pirate that I know of um, that actually did free a whole bunch of enslaved people was the pirate Blackbeard. Um, I think he freed somewhere between 40 and 60 enslaved people and kind of put them onto his ship, but then eventually he sold many of them later on. So it's kind of complicated. I don't, like I said, I don't know of any major pirate attacks against slave ships because that frankly would have been an impossible attack to carry out um, from pirates. Um, But if there were enslaved people within a ship's cargo or amongst a ship's cargo, then the those enslaved people were treated as such. Sometimes a former enslaved so So didn't
1: freedom, them or offer them to join the crew. Was this problem? Well,
0: well, I was just about to say, um, the sometimes some of these enslaved people were absorbed into the pirate crew, but they often weren't treated very well. They um, you know, some of the enslaved people would probably get the lowest positions on ships, sometimes they would get treated better, such as I know. Blackbeard was said to have had um, a very close friend who was a former enslaved person. um, And some other pirate ships, you know, kept everything very equal, regardless of where someone came from or what their race was. Um, But for the most part, enslaved people, I think for the vast majority of the time, pirates would, again, treat enslaved people as part of the cargo, or they would absorb them into their own crew, as long as they were healthy enough to do so.
1: So so there wasn't like pure moral reasons they would they would free slaves or they uh, so they wouldn't attack they like you said they wouldn't attack purposely on slavery so it wasn't like any moral reasons like this because the documentary Lost pirate Kingdom kind of made it seem like there was some sort of moral reason behind this, but that's not really true
0: it yeah it's it's um in terms of a moral reason again a, a lot of that I think is very good for Hollywood or kind of makes it for a very good narrative but I think back then it was just it it was probably a lot simpler now I'm sure there were probably many pirates who were very against slavery there were many 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 people who were very against slavery and this would include pirates as well Um, absolutely but I don't know if collectively if pirates had a moral agenda against the slave trade itself it would be kind of more of an individual thing
1: before we go further in with the whole I would like to talk about Blackbeard for a little bit and mm-hmm. where did he come from and how did he become, end up in this life and what, mm-hmm. and what made him so famous?
0: Blackbeard was born in the late 1600s in Bristol, England and he initially he was educated and he initially started out working on I think merchant ships but he became more known during the War of Spanish Succession. He actually sailed under Benjamin Hornigold. He was Hornigold's protege, and when Hornigold decided to retire um, after the war ended, Hornigold establishes uh, NASA. And he Hornigold sails a pirate ship. He's the captain. Hornigold decides to retire, and he essentially gives his ship to Blackbeard. And Blackbeard begins his career as a pirate captain. And his career as a pirate captain doesn't last very long. Only from about seventeen seventeen to seventeen nineteen ish, something like that, and. During the time he goes to Nassau, he partners up with another pirate named Steed Bonnet, who had been a very wealthy plantation owner who literally kind of woke up one day and was like, I don't want to be a plantation owner or husband or father anymore. I want to be a pirate. So he buys a pirate ship or he just buys a ship, hires a crew, calls himself a pirate. But then he loses several battles and he gets very injured. So he winds up in Nassau Blackbeard kind of sees an opportunity. Okay, here's a wealthy person we can team up with and make a large crew. So Blackbeard and Steve Bonnet do sail together for a a period of time until Blackbeard decides that they've become too recognizable, too well-known. So he betrays Bonnet by sneaking away with his favorite crew members and they take a pardon. Um, And Bonnet and his men are all arrested. Now, Blackbeard was really well-known because of his looks, for the most part. He had a very long black beard. He had long black hair. He was said to put candles into his beard and hair during battle. So it looked like smoke was kind of rising from his face. And this was to terrify the victims. And this was actually a pretty smart tactic. Because pirates, when they attack ships, they need to get in and get out as fast as possible. Um, They want as few deaths as possible. For the most part, there were some pirates that were very violent. Blackbeard, though oddly enough, was not that violent. In fact, he never killed anybody until his very last battle where he died. He never killed a single person in battle. And he just wanted to frighten people into submission so people would essentially surrender and he could get the stuff and go. Um, But that's why he was very well known. He is also very famous for essentially blockading the port of Charleston, South Carolina. He essentially came in, blocked it, wouldn't allow anybody in, anybody out. And it's possible that he was there to get medicine because he and many other members of the crew were suffering from the effects of syphilis. And medicine was actually a very lucrative item for pirates to steal and sell, or at least keep for themselves. So it's possible that that's what they were after. And then, of course, he's very famous for the final battle off the coast of of Virginia against the Coast Guard, where he is engaged in battle by a young lieutenant named Lieutenant Maynard, who actually ends up wounding and then beheading blackbeard in battle so kind of his looks and um the fact that he did command a pretty sizable fleet and he had you know very outlandish very brash tactics but the fact but he also didn't really kill anyone he was very infamous and he kind of capitalized on this infamy in order to keep people frightened of him So that way they'd kind of go into submission. But he only sailed for two years and he didn't even get that wealthy. He also wasn't even the most successful pirate, oddly enough. Um, So his legacy is very interesting.
1: So again, this is another Hollywood misconception that uh, they portray him as violent, as a kind of killer, kind of savage kind of person. But it's not true at all.
0: Not really. I mean, he was terrifying. Um, you know, he definitely fought very hard, but he himself, he, him, I don't know if his, his crew may have killed people, but Blackbeard himself never killed anyone.
1: So what about Jack Rackham? Where, where does he come in? Isn't he the one who designed the famous drone and the famous black flag that we know from Four Pirates, if I remember correctly?
0: Uh, Jack Rackham didn't design it, but he did fly it. Um, he was he flew I'm sorry he sailed with another pirate named Charles Vane who was a very violent pirate and um, he was known for being very cruel and would torture his victims. Jack Rackham sailed with him until they just kind of parted ways. And Jack Rackham is really famous for uh, sailing with two female pirates, Anne Bonnie and Mary Reed. So. Jack Rackham was known as Calico Jack because he liked to wear very fine clothing. He was educated, he spoke well, he liked to wear, you know, the nicest materials possible. And Calico was a very fine piece of material. So that's where his nickname comes from. But he's married to a woman. He marries a woman named Anne Bonnie, and she is his wife on board. They bring on another woman named Mary Reed. And these two women, they Don't disguise themselves as men on the ship. They fight openly, and they're actually some of the fiercest fighters on their ship. And they only actually sail for about two months, this crew, but they become really, really infamous. Jack Rackham is more infamous because of the two women he was sailing with.
1: Um, So didn't do that much himself. It was mostly because Anne Bunny and I forget another one's name
0: Mary Reed. Mary Reed. It was his partnership with the two of them or their partnership with him, depending on how you look at it. But um, that's what he's really famous for. Like I said, he did sail with Charles Vane, but he doesn't really come into his own until he becomes a captain and then marries Anne Bonnie and hires Mary Reed onto his ship as well.
1: How was the view that Anne Bonny and Mary Reeves were allowed on the ship? Was, it, was that very respected by the other pirates or... What was, the, what was the other pirates on, the sh- on board the ship's view like towards Anne bunny and Mary Greaves?
0: It's kind of one of the big mysteries because female pirates were quite rare. Um, I'm not saying they didn't exist. There were actually many very powerful female pirates, both before and after, dating back from the ancient time period. Um, but it was unusual to have female pirates who were actively fighting on ships. A lot of times women weren't allowed on ships, or at least they weren't allowed to join pirate ships or the Navy, et cetera. That doesn't mean they didn't. Some did, but they were the exception to the rule. Um, in terms of how Anne Bonny and Mary Reed came onto the ship Anne Bonnie, <coughs> excuse me, goes onto the ship because she is married to Jack Rackham. Captains could sometimes bring their wives if they want to. That was rare, but it did happen on occasion And so this was probably the case with Jack Rackham bringing his wife with him who already had sailing experience of her own. As for how Mary Reed came onto the ship, we don't know. Her origins are a lot more mysterious. Um, there is kind of the legend that she had disguised herself as a man and that Anne Bonnie had actually falls in love with her on the ship, not knowing that Mary Reed is a woman. Um, and then the two of them end up in a same sex relationship, but that's more story. Um, the Mary Reed was known to have been on the ship because the governor of the Bahamas, who's taken over. Um, Actually,
1: I should think that Black Sales did something sort of like this in the store in their storyline, if I remember correctly. It's been a while since I've seen it, but I think that's a storyline in Black Sales.
0: Yeah, Mary Reed shows up, I think, in the very last episode mm. of the show.
1: Oh, okay. yeah, that was something else.
0: Yeah, but there is um there yeah, there are same-sex female yeah. relationships on yeah. that show as yeah. well. And Anne Bonnie is made one of the main characters. Um, and so is Jack Rackham and so is Charles Vane, actually. Um that's for story, it makes for a fun story. Yes. Um, but the governor of the Bahamas, Woods Rogers, who has taken mm-hmm. over and he's, you know, deestablished the Pirate Kingdom. Mm-hmm. He issues a proclamation specifically um against the pirate captain, Jack Rackham sailor and sailing with him the two women and bonnie and mary reed so that meant jack rackham knew that mary reed was a woman when he hired her and it was known that she was sailing with him and the reason why the two women would have been mentioned is because it would be very easy to find a captain with two women if there's two women on a ship you'll know it's probably jack rackham so and because it's quite unusual so we're not sure how mary reed got to know them obviously sometime when they were at nasa but um But she joins the ship and the two women fight together. They're known to be very violent in battle. They fight with their shirts open, bearing their breasts so the victims see it and really intimidates people because no one's expecting a woman to be a a pirate and be fighting so Mm. hard. They um, were known to swear more than any of the other pirates they would fight a lot fiercer. Uh, Jack Rackham captured a woman named Dorothy Thomas and Jack Rackham decides to let her go and Anne Bonnie is like no we should kill her because she could speak against us if we're ever captured and Jack Rackham says mm-hmm. no I'm going to release her later Dorothy Thomas does speak at their trial as a witness so, um, but then when they were captured, it was Anne Bonnie and Mary Reed who defended the ship alone because Jack Rackham and the rest of the crew got very drunk off of a bunch of wine that they'd stolen from a ship earlier. Um, and they go hide below decks when they're attacked by a pirate hunter named Jonathan Barnett, leaving just Anne Bonnie and Mary Reed to defend the ship on their own. And of course they are captured and then they're taken to St. Saint, Saint, uh, Jago de la Vega in uh, Jamaica. And that's where they're put into jail and then put on trial um, for their crimes.
1: Now, is Anne Bonnie pregnant at the time she's captured or is she not yes. now, obviously industry is but is this visible at this point when she's captured, or is captured, uh, or is it early pregnancy?
0: It would have been visible because um both both Anne and Mary were pregnant um at the trial. They revealed it. Now back in the 1700s, women You know, women would know that they were probably pregnant because, you know, menstruation stops, that sort of thing. But pregnancy wasn't confirmed until the baby quickened. And that meant that they could feel the baby move for the first time. So this was confirmation of pregnancy. So by Ann Bonnie and Mary Reed revealing that they are pregnant, it means that they, the baby had probably quickened, which meant they were probably five months pregnant because at that point you will be showing, um, and it will be quite obvious, because not every woman shows in the first couple of months of pregnancy. Um, and so they were able to visibly show right away that they were pregnant. The examination showed immediately they were pregnant. And this means they were probably pregnant, which means they got pregnant before they went to see. Um, which meant they were fighting while they were pregnant. And in fact, all the witnesses, they all said the same thing, um, the way they were able to realize immediately that Anne, Bonnie, and Mary women, uh, Anne, Bonnie, and Mary Reeve were women was because of, quote, the largeness of their breasts. Every single one of them commented on that. So this kind of implies that their breasts were probably larger from pregnancy. Um, or maybe it was just simply their description, but that's a possibility as well. But um, yeah, they they would have been visibly pregnant but not so visibly pregnant that they wouldn't have been able to hide it if that makes sense they would have been yep. about four or five months along
1: this is probably a long shot but do we have any sign of fat the family is tracing from Edmund and Jack Crackham today or mm. do we have no idea who's prim- if they're still alive the family is still growing.
0: no idea honestly um those records kind of disappear so Mary Reed she dies in jail um She dies of what's called jail fever, which is also known as typhus and possibly complications in childbirth as well. Because they both revealed that they were pregnant, they got what was called a stay of execution, meaning that they were going to um, put off their execution until after the baby was born. And most likely they would not have been executed. Women were very rarely actually executed. Um, But Mary Reed dies in prison. As for Anne Bonny, we're not quite sure. For a very long time, the most accepted theory was that her father may have gotten her out of prison and taken her home and she would have had her child and remarried and lived for a long time. And this is because of some vague records. Recently, um, almost a year ago, I think last January, there was a YouTuber, I don't remember the name, but found some documents from St. Catherine's Parish in Jamaica, and which is where St. Jago de la Vega was. Mary Reed is listed on their death record, on their burial records for March 1721 when she died. Mm. But then in, I think, January 1731, he found the name Anne Bonney. So it is possible perhaps Anne Bonney lived the rest of her life in Jamaica. Mm. Uh, we don't know if it's the same one, um, but it could be.
1: Um, what happened when... How does the end of when do we get the sort of end of the golden age of piracy? How does that happen?
0: The golden age of piracy starts to kind of end in the later 1720s, and the historian Marcus Rediker says the golden age of piracy ends when a pirate named William Fly is executed in 1726, because this is the last big public execution of pirates. Um, There's also the factor that by the late 1720s, the Royal Navy has massively expanded. The Admiralty courts are everywhere. It's becoming very difficult to be a pirate. At this point, all the major famous pirate leaders have been killed. Blackbeard's dead. Charles Vane is dead. Jack Rackham is dead. Um, So Nassau is no longer a pirate kingdom because Woods Rogers had become governor and stamped it all out. So a lot of pirates didn't really have very many places to go. It was very precarious. And then in the 1730s, another war breaks out called the War of Austrian Succession. And again, a lot of it's going to be fought on the sea and all the major European governments are saying, hey, we need skilled fighters, we need skilled sailors, we will pardon any pirate if they work for us as a privateer. And most pirates decided to do this because it just had become too difficult to be a pirate. It wasn't worth it anymore. And a lot were like, it would be safer if we just had more steady employment this way. So pirate piracy just kind of started fading away in the 1720s. And then it um, and then a lot of the pirates were absorbed into being privateers during the war. Now, it doesn't mean piracy ended. We Always have pirates, but we don't have the big organized groups of pirates like we did in the 1700s.
1: And um, what about Nassau today?
0: Is it a popular tourist destination because of the pirates,
1: or what? What is the city life today?
0: I haven't been to Nassau, um, but I'm going to be going in, seven, in 2023. But Um, What I do know is that it is like a major tourist location within the Bahamas. It's got, it does have a pirate lineage and there are museums about it. There are some tours about piracy, um, but it also just has kind of a very long sort of Caribbean plantation colonial history as well. But it's become like a big tourist destination with resorts and museums. Um, A lot of people go there because it's frankly, it's not that far from the United States. It's kind of an easy, it's an easy flight from, I think Florida or, or Atlanta, one of the two, um so yeah, it's become kind of a major tourist destination today but i I myself have not been there yet, but i i will be going there i if, you know <laughs> if everything goes yeah. well in uh,
1: twenty twenty three yeah um to end kind of end is I want to talk about miss other mis- we' talked about some mis- mis- misconceptions like the the terrestrial maps. Is there any other misconceptions we have about pirates that you want to talk about?
0: I think the big thing that I like to kind of point out or stress is that I think a lot of people forget that pirates were regular people. The vast majority of pirates were not that violent. Um, and many pirates didn't intend to be lifelong pirates. A lot of them sailed just for maybe one or two years before If they were lucky, they were able to just kind of go home and retire. They wanted to make money very quickly. Many pirates had families, you know, they had parents, wives, children, siblings, and they often were able to bring wealth home to their families. And so there were areas where pirates were kind of respected members of the community or at least pretty valued. So I think that's something I kind of like to say. Sometimes I feel like it's boring, but I feel like it's very easy to forget that these were regular people as well, many of whom were trying to make a living in what way they could um now i'm not saying that this means pirates were good most pirates were very violent they had to be and terrifying they would kidnap people and force them into piracy um but i also like to point out that they that at the same time a lot of their motivations were very very different than um what we might think in terms of hollywood so that's usually kind of the big thing i like to say besides the whole buried treasure bit um just that you know, pirates had very many different motivations. Some, yes, were very violent, some weren't. Most just wanted to do it for a year or two and then go home.
1: Do you have anything you wish to so thank you so much for coming on? It's been a pleasure to have you. Honor a pleasure to have you on this podcast. And uh, do you have anything you wish to promote any social media you wish to share in the description?
0: Sure. Yeah. So um, you can buy my book, Why We Love Pirates, The Hunt for Captain Kidd and How He Changed Piracy Forever. That came out back in November. You can buy it on Amazon IndieBound. It's available as an ebook, as an audio book, any format you'd like. My next book, uh, Pirate Queens, The Lives of Anne Bonny and Mary Read is going to be coming out in 2022. Uh, No release date yet, but keep an eye out. That'll be out next year. And I have a website, it's rebecca-simon.com. And you can find me on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is Beckalex, B E C K A L E X. You send me those links you want
1: me to put, and I'll put it in the description after when I publish the episode. Okay. Thank you so much for coming. My name is Alan. This has been 12. We are available on social media, on Instagram, well, that h 12 on YouTube and wherever you can find podcasts. And I want to say before you leave, end this episode that we are, if you please like, share and subscribe this, to this podcast. If you're just listening here for Rebecca, that's great too, but we want to wrap and check out some of the other episodes that we have. We definitely got something that should be of your interest. My name is Alan. This has been well, that age 12 and I'll see you next time.